Hello, everybody. Do you like your music heavy? Yeah. Do you like the groove in your music? Yeah. Do you like the clean vocals that just pack a little bit of a punch, but it also can serenade you when you're just feeling down? Yeah. Well, let me tell you about the self-titled record by ERA, because that's the product for you. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Tentacle Bot Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Gabe. And as you kind of may have recognized during that intro, we're reviewing the self-titled record by Era. Um, Gabe, why don't you just kick it off? What were your first impressions on this one? I so I had never really listened to Era before. Like I had heard the name kind of being just thrown around uh, in in hardcore and scene circles and stuff like that. And um, I just never really gave him the time of day. And so when we decided to go ahead and do this album, I was I came in with a pretty open mind, but like I wasn't expecting anything good or bad. And I was pleasantly surprised by this album. It was a, I really enjoyed it. it. It was a great introduction to their music, and if anybody wanted an introduction to Era's music, I'd happily point them to this record. Okay, and honestly, I, I'm going to have to kind of say is that really a lot of what you just said is really a lot of the same kind of perspective I had, is I, I really had not listened to anything by them. I may have heard clips, but that was about the most of it. And, I mean, they've got groove, they've got the really heavy stuff, the clean stuff was really clean, um, you know, and just really well done, really strong production, and it was just, it, it took, grabbed my attention immediately, and one of the big notable things was the guitar work, that really grabbed my attention right out the gate. Yeah, front to back, it, it was just a very enjoyable album to listen to, um, it was a strong offering to like what encompasses era. And mm -hmm. it seems like it was really uh, well received by the like actual era fan community as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I can definitely give them kudos for that. Yeah. And I know listening to, or kind of watching this little 30 second behind the scenes sort of video on Instagram is I believe Jesse, who's the guitarist as well as the clean vocalist mm -hmm. was kind of talking a little bit of what this record was. And he kind of explained that it's taking a lot of what Era's done before, whether it be the heavy stuff, the softer stuff, the technical stuff, and really just going in a wider direction. Um, and actually, before we recorded this podcast, um, is I actually started to dig into a little bit of their older material after visiting this record. And I got to kind of see and really experience some of the wider aspects that the band had started pulling from even their last record, which I believe was called Neon. Um, and I believe that was released in 2018, if my memory mm -hmm. serves me correctly. Okay, right on. Uh, uh, now, you mentioned it, uh, that you enjoy the guitar work. What else did you think about it musically? I honestly, there, I can't really say that there wasn't anything that really wasn't done well. The drums was another really big thing that I enjoyed. Um, it, it kept a lot of the pace. It kept a lot of the energy throughout. Is It was definitely, with the heavy stuff, the drums was able to keep up and also set the tone. Um, and even in the softer stuff, is it it never completely took over the song like I've seen it do with some bands. Um, and I mean, just really all around, it, it's really the whole package that I'm kind of looking for in a band and writing a full record. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I kind of had the same uh, the same viewpoint on it. the The album was a really great rendering of like what modern metalcore looks like, mm -hmm. um, in comparison to like what it's come from. And there was like just enough the gent, and uh, it was like technical yet it was readable. The solos were really solid, and just it was a strong delivery as a as a unit with no like particular 
uh, instrumentalist or anything like pulling forward. Like mm-hmm. they were, worked very well cohesively as a unit. Yeah, you know, I, I really agree. appreciated that. It was it was just a very seamless production. You know, it was a very just smooth transition between all the all the songs. It was a smooth transition between all the uh, all the different instruments throughout the individual songs themselves, and just musically was very tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, as a guitarist, it was very pleasing to hear that like this is something that like I feel like I could learn, but it would feel like a challenge to me. And yeah. I, I I enjoy hearing that whenever I'm listening to a record. And, uh, and, and same thing with like the drum work, my drum skills are nowhere near that. So I, I, I can, I can accept that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fair. But uh, overall, like it just, everything about it just fit really well together and it gave me a respect that I didn't know that I was going to have for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I, like I said, I, I really respect them for that. One of the things I definitely noticed is, and it, it's the, the vocals, at least the, the screaming vocalist is the some of the just screaming vocals he did reminded me of a not quite as aggressive vocalist of Acacia Strain. Um, and then I believe mm-hmm. he actually did some of the backing clean vocals throughout. And it reminded me a lot of the uh, of Dave from We Came As Romans. Okay. Um, so I, I definitely, it was very interesting kind of hearing that very almost contrasting difference in his voice and going from that very, very aggressive to the kind of softer stuff. And I really appreciated that. I was actually really, really down with it. Yeah. Uh, How did you feel about the album lyrically? Lyrically is, um, I feel like it's similar to a lot of other metalcore bands um, where if you break it down line by line, it doesn't quite make sense. Uh, But if you go and you actually start kind of putting everything together, you start to see a little bit more uh, clearly what the message is. Um, And the song that that really came up in... I believe was divisionary Mm -hmm. um, is that one. If I, if I remember correctly is that was the one where it kind of was talking about um, our gods are pretty much our screens Mm -hmm. um, talking about computer consumption um, and then just like spending time on social media is if you tear it down line by line is you kind of, you're not sure what they're trying to say, but as you start putting, you know, the line before it in there, and then you include the line after as you start it, they start to paint the picture. So it's continuing to build off of the metaphor that you see a lot of bands doing. And I, I kind of look at their lyric style in a way similar to Randy from Lamb of God is where his it kind of is the same way it doesn't quite make sense just line by line but as you put everything together you start to you start to see that picture be painted Mm -hmm. yeah and um, i'll go into more into a divisionary later because i have lots to say about that song um but yeah i I was kind of in the same boat Um, it was lyrically a very interesting album um there was like some songs that were just very tongue-in-cheek and very Mm -hmm. metaphorical and they were just kind of like the the heart was on the sleeve um, but then there was others that were like a lot more open for interpretation, you know, which kind of like fits the general understanding of similar bands like Tesseract, Polyphia, Eternity Forever, mm-hmm. like, things that are going to be in those veins. Um, but yeah, overall, like I really liked the song or the the album lyrically. Mm-hmm. Um, I never felt like it was losing track of what it was trying to say, but I right. never felt like it was just too in your face about things. And I, I, I can appreciate that. Like they, they rode the line very well. Uh, on balancing the the metaphorical side of things with actually while still actually getting their point across. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't I, just metaphor for the sake of metaphor, and it wasn't just coming out and saying it because they weren't good songwriters. Like they were just very on point. They hit every song on the nose with the the message that they were trying to get across, mm-hmm. and I can appreciate that. Yeah, 
No, I can agree with that. Um, and then I'll actually kind of pass the question, um, or at least kind of hear what your opinion is on it, is the album artwork. Um, so at least as a description, is it's a black background, and it looks almost as if there's a very lightly lit, uh, very geometrically shaped um, kind of background. Um, for those of you who may have played any of the Assassin's Creed titles, is it, I feel a lot of some of the modern day parts, uh, in that is it kind of look like some of the background in that. So it's very, very geometric shaped and it's almost chaotic looking, but in the front is you can kind of, I believe it's actually era's band logo and it looks like multiple crowns, uh, rotating around a circle and if you look at them, is there they modified these crowns to look like the E R R A, um, in kind of the circle. So, what's your kind of um, take on that? Yeah, so um, it was done by uh, Dr- Jeff Craso, um, and it just it fits really the vibe of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of similar things in the similar veins of North Lane, of Polyphia, of mm-hmm. uh, Tesseract, uh, even like Space EP by The Devil Wears Prada. Like okay. it's just kind of in that same vein where it's really kind of showcasing more of an ethereal, abstract kind of concept. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the music has uh, has a lot to do with that as well, um, just with the way that modern metalcore has gone. It, right. Uh, it, it just fits in that same vein. Um, overall, I liked it. I don't really know that it told much of a story in terms of the uh, con- concept or lyrical content of the mm-hmm. album. Um, but overall, like I, it fit the record well. I've liked Era's album covers in the past. I, mm-hmm. I've seen a few of them, even though I've like never actually listened to them. Right. But like they've always had like these bright, colorful, abstract kind of concepts uh, to them. And I've always liked them. And yeah. th- this, this one's not really any exception. Yeah, and, and at least after now re- uh, recently listening to Era and digging into their last record is I can absolutely confirm the very colorful nature of the those album covers. Uh, with this one is because it is a self-titled record is keeping it kind of a minimalistic design mm-hmm. and not allowing it to really be something crazy like they've done in the past. I think also just allows it to... I don't expect it to be telling a really extravagant story because it is a self-titled. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I, you know, I kind of, after, after looking into it a little bit further, I'm not a- anticipating anything like that, but I do like the kind of um, abstract pieces of it that where you see the, the couple of colored stripes in it, you see the, uh, very little bits of gray where it almost looks like a lit up wall uh, in a hallway and then having the band's logo uh, in it. And then you see very faintly on the side is the actual name era uh, sideways. So just having all those elements just to kind of um, at least tell you who it is and what mm-hmm. the name of the record is, I think was a pretty good job done. Uh, yeah. So well done to um, you said Jeff Krasos, yeah, Jeff Craso. Craso. My apologies. Yeah. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the uh, track-by-track descriptions here. Uh, First off, the album gets kicked off by Snowblind. Matt, how did you feel about this song? Oh, this, it it came out. So um, the the beginning made me expect something, and then once the riff hit, is it completely changed my expectation? And what what I was anticipating is because it's a a sort of... um, electronic beat and it's a very 
it's it's a very bouncy feel so you're kind of sitting there like okay this is going to go into a lot of the kind of generic metalcore or metal or even rock intro where it's just this really soft potentially electronic opening and then all of a sudden the riff hits and it just comes out the gate and it's a full song it comes screaming uh mad groove that comes in the breakdown wasn't super heavy and it was just one of those more groovy kind of get hyped breakdowns. Um, one of the things I really notice is, and it changes a little bit throughout the record, is the clean vocals reminded me a lot of Josh Gilbert from As I Lay Dying. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to it being the very typical kind of just singy type chorus, is it felt like more of a yelling clean. Yeah. Um, and it was it had that had that little bit of grit to it and it kind of packed that punch. The solo honestly stole me. (laughs) The solo was so clean. Like, and it's, you know, and I I don't want to compare the band um, because because I feel like there is a little bit of, because there is a very different style. Uh, but the feeling I what that it was invoked in me was like listening to Van Halen type solos. Like it, it, it just made me feel that kind of warm inside, and just mm-hmm. like I really I loved it. I it, it grabbed my attention immediately, and I was like I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, in regards to the solo on the song, like it very, felt very like Polaris to me, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was super cool. Like it was still distinctly era, and and not mm-hmm. really like trying to compare them to Polaris, but like it just kind of gave me that vibe and. Overall, like I could definitely see the two doing a, a tour together if they haven't I, yeah. already. Um, but yeah, so like the, the solo was super awesome. The 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 song itself just is a straight banger. Like the album opens up and it just is a brutal assault to the face. It is. Um, the Jesse, the the unclean vocalist, he stated in an interview that they wrote the song really to paint a picture of the devolvement of a person into madness, and the song just really does a quality job of that. Um, lyrically and musically, it's just very well flushed in that regard. And like you said, the, the breakdown really wasn't more of a heavy breakdown, but it was just more of a groove. Yeah. And for me, like that's that's really where I personally like to live. Like I, I do enjoy a heavy breakdown, but like if the song has a good groove, I'm gonna like that a lot more than I am gonna like just a straight breakdown. And I, I and think the just having a straight heavy breakdown is they've been done so much. Is it's kind of just like. It's been done before. Like, you know, what do you bring into the table? The groovy ones is that's where you really kind of want to get into the get into the circle pit and start throwing exactly. down. Exactly. So yeah. I, I can and completely just, agree. The way that the song ends, where it's just hitting that riff again and mm-hmm. it's just going right back into that bridge part again. And they just like end the song. Like it just felt so right. And I'm like, okay, that was that that was the first song. What else am I gonna see? Yeah. And then we go into Gungrave. And this song just was a murderous onslaught of like that machine gun kind of like riff it actually reminded me of uh, power shifter by fear factory oh, yeah, because yeah. of just that very fast very aggressive just drum and just chugging on the guitar yeah. and um, obviously like a very different genre but like it, it reminded me of um uh, of some songs by rose funeral okay. who are uh, like an old school like or not old school but they're like a one of their right before MySpace era deathcore bands. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of did the same thing and, and in several of their songs. And like, it just kind of gave me those vibes, but then obviously it went into like, it's a whole different song and the, just the arsenal sound that came out in this song. If I were in a pit, I'd be terrified. <laughs> I, yeah, I can. Yeah. And this, uh, and this kind of goes back to what I had alluded before a little bit is this is where you start to see the cleans go into the, 
Um, you you see them go into more the the very uh, typical kind of singing where it's the the cleaner um, kind of clean vocal as opposed to this sort of yell that Snowblood had. Um, one thing I did note is going from the very fast and heavy verse to the slower bridge. Um, I'm sorry, bridge. It felt weird, but it felt right. Yeah. So the the thing that Era really showcased well in this record is the dynamic in a metalcore record. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of metalcore records, they either stay heavy or they just alternate very methodic or not methodically, but um, they alternate just very. Uh, in a way, kind of methodically, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, it, it almost is a formula that they follow. Yeah. Where it's just, okay, well, in the verses, we're going to be soft, and in the choruses, we're going to be big, and in the bridge, we're going to go hard, or, mm-hmm. like, all, all the vice versa. Like, they're right. just going to go soft in the bridge and call it good. But throughout this entire record, Arrow really shows that they can mess around with that. They can start really soft and then make the song just really anthemic, or they can start really heavy, go drop down again, it just, but they they change it up every time, and it feel like it never feels out of place. It feels right every single time. Yeah. Um, and like my only other note, and then here was just, does this song mosh? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> I mean, if you if you look at, listen to that low and slow at the end, though, oh, oh it's just so my good. lord, <laughs> that, that, that opening riff, like it, it, so, opening up like Snowblood was. In my top three uh, songs on the record, mm-hmm. this also is like in my top three songs on the yeah. record. <laughs> yeah, no, this this definitely, if it's not in the top three, it's scratching just right under. I mean, it, it just comes out so hard. Yeah. Um, and then the next one is Divisionary. Um, and this one, you kind of see Era doing a little bit of an attempt at a more commercial friendly style compared to the last two. Um, and it was very well done. Um, this, it was a little interesting, but it was done very, very right. This is my favorite song on the record, hands down. Really? Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> I'm curious to now hear what your thoughts are on what my favorite song of the record, but we'll definitely get to that one. This one just did not feel forced at all. Everything just continued to move between the different vibes, and it just... It, everything worked together and worked together very nicely. Yeah. So as you mentioned before at the beginning of the cast, um, this song is really kind of talking about how like we're glued to our, our screens, we're mm-hmm. slaves to our devices, and um, I, I I really like the lyrical content of that. I thought that was just a neat way to kind of go yeah. begin going into things. Um, like I, I put down a couple of my favorite lyrics here. Um, Distraction is clandestine, but we all have a passcode. Mm-hmm. Like that just kind of hit differently. And yeah. then um, the small black screens are your only god now is just like a a very good image of what exactly it is. Like everywhere we go, if something's happening, somebody's recording it. If uh, we need something, we just go straight to our phones because we have some sort of way to get there. Um, And I don't like, it doesn't indicate that era is anti-technology. Obviously technology is there to help us move forward as, as a species and Mm -hmm. move forward as society. But at the same time, like there's such thing as too much dependence. And I feel like that's kind of what they're getting at. We're becoming too dependent on these things when we need to actually allow ourselves to, to, to be human again, instead of having these technological uh, attachments to us. Um, man creates God in his own image was my favorite line in the song. Mm-hmm. Um, because like they're, they're obviously playing off the, the biblical, uh, verses indicating that God created us in his own image. Yeah. Um, if you subscribe to the, the belief of Christianity and, and what the Bible says. And so this kind of being flipped on its head, like obviously 
it's kind of one of those things where it just kind of pokes a little bit at that. Yeah, but the, that kind of tongue-in-cheek reference. Exactly, or, but then yeah. the, the meaning behind it is so true in, in what we actually do. And <clears throat> so, like, we, we have come to the point where we almost worship these things. Yeah. Like, kids, they'll lose their minds if they don't have their devices. We, we use it to pawn them off. And, like, it just comes to the point where we rely so heavily on these that if something goes down, they get broken or whatever, we become less of who we are. And I feel like at that point, that's where like this line really takes hold and becomes truth. Like it, it's not just one of those things where they're just trying to be angsty and uh, messing around with like religious undertones yeah. and stuff like that. It's really more of a fact that we created these items, and at that same time, like we created these items to be perfect for us, and therefore we're beginning to create our own god because at this yeah. point we're beginning to worship them as a as an item that we must have in our lives in order to continue to go on. Right, right, yeah. And honestly, you know, and that that perspective of kind of digging into it is you could definitely see in the in the lines and especially the small black screens are your only god now is and I like how the the dynamic of even how that line was sung by both vocalists was very well done and it kind of it really enforces like this is kind of the message that we are trying to ensure that you understand and kind of that highlighting of it is definitely something you can see and that they're really trying to kind of push that, you know, we're, we are very glued to our, our screens, whether it be for looking at just dumb things on YouTube, like cat videos or social media, um, which is just an absolute time dump. Um, so it's, it's a very good and very insightful look into just humanity as it is today. Exactly. So like, just try to use your devices, less people, except when you're listening to us, keep listening to us, hey. put us on repeat, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then the, uh, the album moves into, uh, the so next song, uh, track four is house of glass. How did you feel about this one, Matt? This picks up pretty quick. It puts on the pressure and it really does not stop. It's it just it they come in hot, man. They come in real nice and hot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like I like most of this song. I actually don't like the choruses on it. It's just I don't know why. I just personally didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't anything necessarily wrong with it. I just it was kind of meh for me. Okay. Um, it and I think really it just kind of because it came on the back of Snowblood and then it came on the back of Gungrave and Divisionary. I feel like it was just kind of it wasn't up to par or it mm -hmm. wasn't exceeding those expectations. So I think it kind of just dropped down a little bit and That's it wasn't fair. necessarily a bad thing. I just, th this, this is not a song that I would like put on repeat. Like if I'm okay. listening to the album again, which I absolutely will, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not going to like skip it by any means, but it's just not one of those songs that I really kind of want to continue listening to over and over. Like I want to do with those first three. Yeah. And this, so one of the things I definitely noticed as I was listening through it is the instrumentals reminded me a bit of Rivers of Nile's newest record. Um, and I actually was getting a lot of that kind of Rivers of Nile, especially the slower stuff. Um, I, I think you you may have heard that record, but mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Forests of Change was one of the songs is where it's the the really soft guitar parts that they come in with the saxophone on that Rivers of Nile record, is I was getting a lot of those vibes, just minus the saxophone. Yeah. Um, that one I really quite, I did really enjoy House of Glass, and there was at one point where, I think it was about halfway through, is the pressure let off a little bit, but they didn't let the pressure off for long enough that you lose interest. They just pull it off just to give you enough of a breather where you're like, oh, <gasps> Okay, what's happening next? Yeah. 
Shadow Autonomous. I like this song a lot. I same. It, it just the, the way that it came in, like it just built very differently than the rest of the record. Mm-hmm. It felt like a very experimental song. Like it felt like they were almost going back to like post hardcore days. Yeah, things, okay. Uh, of things like Under Oath and uh, uh, just like other bands in that same vein. But at the same time, like it still obviously had their medical, their modern metalcore twist. Mm-hmm. And I just overall, like I really like the song, like just the way that it built up from the beginning, because like it feels like it's going to start kicking in, then it drops in low to that that really just kind of pomuted guitar riff, bringing in harmonics, and then it just kept layering and layering and yeah. layering in. I like how this one, it was definitely one of the the slower songs. Um, and it was one of the ones that's a little bit more of the like a primary clean style. Um, but it, it definitely doesn't drop to any point where this song lulls. And I think that's really what kept my attention on this one. Mm-hmm. And especially coming off of heavy songs like Snowblood and Gungrave. And then even though it's slowed down a little bit with House of Glass, it's still being able to maintain, maintain that grip uh, on this one. Where other records, about this time is you're starting to kind of lose the attention um they do definitely do not do that um i will say there was a point where there was a like a guitar tapping in the background and with the soothing cleans and i just sat there and i was like this is nice yeah it it, it was it was almost like you could almost sit there and if you just had that little bit just on repeat for forever is you could probably just completely relax to it Mm -hmm, absolutely like uh, even though this record is as heavy and is i don't want to say chaotic but kind of chaotic as it is like yeah it, it was a very like just pleasing soothing record to to listen to my wife who is not a metalcore like she she's not just really involved in metal and metal mm-hmm. core and uh, really anything alternative she even like said that she's like hey i kind of like these guys yeah and, and I, I, that, I can actually i can confirm that too yeah just it, based on knowing her absolutely and it's just it was kind of one of those things where like i know i mentioned uh, uh two weeks ago when we were talking about the Arch- architects record that that was a an album that i would show people who were just getting into metal mm-hmm. this is another like stepping stone that i would give people once they're kind of like got their toes wet they're kind of yeah. knowing what to expect i would give them this album as well yeah and it, it would be a, re- a good introduction because it also allows you to really show that these bands really like this is how bands can get heavy and do it well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly uh, so then the album goes into uh, Electric Twilight. I enjoyed this one as well. Like th- this one got a lot heavier for me. It felt like fit for an autopsy. Met tas- Tesseract. Okay. Um, it was just like it was a blend of heavy. It was a blend of gent, and it was a blend of ethereal sounds, which is kind of like those two bands mixed together. And then obviously you throw uh, Jesse's vocals on it and JT's vocals on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one I was definitely getting the the Rivers of Nile vibes again, mm-hmm. um, and it felt like a metalcore slash hardcore band that were wanting to dip their toes into a little bit more of a rock sound, but they weren't fully invested in making the full leap into it. Um, I was definitely getting a little bit of the rock vibe in it, um, but it's just it, it's just an easy listen. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't really complain about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next up, we've got Scorpion Hymn, um, and I'll just say is the song gets heavy, uh, and it stays really heavy. The song was a little forgettable for me. It's a little forgettable for me now. Um, mm-hmm. Like, on my first listen through, I, I it just stood out right away to me. It's just like, this is something that I would expect somebody to go to the hospital in the pit from. 
I could see it. Because it, it's just like, it's heavy from beginning to end. But yeah, like I, I'm in the same boat. Like I, it's not a really big standout song, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like it's still a good song nonetheless. Yeah. And it, it's definitely something that like I can imagine just erupting the place into a, just an all out brawl. Yeah. And this is definitely, I think it, um, if you kind of look at how bands typically will set up their set list is this definitely feels like, you know, the middle of the set is they'll be like, yeah, we're going to slow it down a little bit. And then kind of coming into that, like back kind of third of the show is they're like, we're playing Scorpion him and you're just like, you're just watching the whole place light up. Yeah. They, they, they played a slow song before that. And you're like, okay guys, that was great and all, but, Y'all have had time to to recollect. You, mm-hmm. you you've caught your breath. Now it's time to lose it again. <laughs> Let's go. We're gonna mess you up. Let's do this. Yep. <laughs> and then the break. I like the breakdown at the end. It wasn't a pure breakdown. It was more like a riff down. Yeah. Mint. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And then they they go into Lunar Halo and just change. Favorite song. Really. I loved this i could i could not stop playing this i couldn't i could not i would end up going and playing this song playing the record i get to this song and just slap the repeat button and i'd sit there listen to it five six times and then realize i need to listen to the rest of the record (laughs) i just loved it and you you hear right out the gate is it's this very very heavily affected clean vocals and once you actually listen through and kind of start picking things apart is they just took the chorus and just isolated the vocals heavily, heavily affected it. So it was a very almost robotic sound, but it felt like what ended up happening was they had this heavily, this affected, um, chorus. And then it almost felt like there was a second recording of it over the top and it almost seemed like it was a, a completely unaffected version on top because you could hear Jesse so clearly. And then it comes into this very soaring just aura. And oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. So I'm not going to lie. Like that 100% comes as a surprise. I I, I don't blame you. Like I, I, I do enjoy this song a mm-hmm. lot as well. It's It definitely changes pace in the record. Yeah. But um, I, I like the song as well. I, the guitar work in the verses is just stellar. Mm-hmm. And like it, yeah. it's one of those things, like in a verse usually is not the place where you think of it's going to be the best guitar work. You right. think usually the intros, the post-choruses, uh, breakdown solos, all that kind of yeah. stuff. This one, like it just, it stood out. The verse sounded amazing. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it never just like actually took over either. Like it was very, it, it very well meshed with itself. And the song itself was just from beginning to end. It, felt very cohesive mm-hmm. um i definitely did not expect this to be your favorite song just <laughs> knowing you but that's okay because like i can respect it it's yeah. not like it's one i mean not like to really have really a bad song on here but yeah it, it's not a bad song for you to yeah. like it be your favorite <laughs> and the one of the things that also i mean it's and you talk about the the very technical aspects of the of the verses and then the as it starts to to build up into the I believe it was the bridge right before the chorus is it's kind of this dunna 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 and yeah. it's just this really easy beat and then all of a sudden everything just sort of blows up with the chorus and and the way that the everything else was able to complement 
the clean vocals so well. The chorus shit, like I said, it just blows up. It feels it's a very full sound. And then you go into the the softer part. I believe it's after the second chorus. And it's just isolated cleans. And it's the um, I believe the lyrics is the uh, body circle lunar halo. And it's that kind of bit. Mm-hmm. And then you have as that's going as in more of a spoken word, you hear the the cleans come back and it's a little bit goes back a little bit more to the yelly style that was done in Snowblood. And you have those just going at the same time before hitting that solo. And it's the way it wraps up the song going back into the chorus and then having the um, not terribly disgusting heavy, but heavy enough where you kind you kind of get the stank face and just how it, we just bringing that home. It just ended the song and with a very smooth transition goes into vanish canvas. The song is fine. I, it just, it never really catch my, caught my attention after multiple listens. The, so initially is I definitely kind of looked at it as a kind of very unmemorable song. Um, but when I started looking at it because of how smoothly it comes in from Lunar Lunar Halo falls into this one is I started really liking it more as almost an extension of that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes from this huge boom of heavy to this almost um, anthemic kind of rock radio um, kind of song that you would hear at a big rock festival. Um, a song that it kind of reminds me of is like uh, Back to Me by Of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. um, where it's a very soft. It does have its parts where it does pick up, where it's the, the clean vocals kind of come in and it's a little bit more tempo. And then you got the screaming pieces. Um, it also seems like a song that you would be able to slap a kind of tour music video of. So it's like the clips of the band playing shows, being on the road and meeting fans is that's just kind of the vision I got off of it. Um, I love the melody of the chorus. Um, and then the vocals all around the instrumentals really, I think took a backseat on this one. They Mm -hmm. didn't really blow up as much as lunar halo did. Yeah. Um, but I I think definitely kind of, this is them having their chance to kind of just pull back and hold off a little bit, as opposed to just going balls out. Like they've done the entire rest of the record. That that does a fair assessment. Like I said, it's not a bad song by any means. It just never really caught my attention. That's fair. And it just kind of felt like the lowest point in the record for me personally. Like, it, not a bad song if it's your favorite song. Sorry, but yeah, and <laughs> that's just I, kind of where I'm at with it. I can kind of see like what you mean about it being kind of the lower point, and I think it's, I think by it being a the low point of the record, it also allows the you as the listener to have that chance to just catch your breath. Um, even though you did get a little bit of that in Shadow Autonomous, um, but I think by having just that little bit extra is it allows you to kind of just recuperate and just be like, dude, I've just been banging my head this entire record. Like my neck hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then from there, it uh, moves into Eidolon. Um, the beginning of this track felt like an eternity forever song to me mm-hmm. and uh, eternity forever. For those who haven't listened to, they're kind of like a weird mix of like what D- dance Gavin dance and Polyphia had a love child. And that love child was then adopted uh, by uh, the band Camino. 
And uh, so I, I do recommend them. Um, they're a really cool band to listen to, and mm-hmm. my wife hates them, but I don't care. I love them, and she's going to listen to them whether <laughs> she likes it or not. <laughs> uh, but so it goes from that, like where it's this really soft kind of like just sound to it, and then it just goes straight into like a fit for an autopsy breakdown. Oh, that was nasty. <laughs> it I, was so thug nasty. I, I was, loved it. I was actually, I was like, it, this might be the softest or like kind of slowest song, and then all of a sudden it hit that nasty rough, and I'm like, Oh, we're in for a surprise, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the verse riffs with the guitar harmonies on it almost felt like reminiscent of like old school As They Lay Dying or mm-hmm. uh, or even like old All That Remains before, yeah. they, before they went radio rock. Um, so it just kind of felt that way. And then even though like the, the song itself is like kind of just a cookie cutter image of like a modern metalcore song, the song itself is still pretty good and I would definitely yeah. feel no issue going back and listening to it again. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely hear that. And especially you making the kind of metalcore, uh, kind of the comparison to As I Lay Dying and um, Old School, all that remains is one of the sounds I definitely noticed is I definitely saw a lot of the August Burns Red, As mm-hmm. I Lay Dying vibes. And you definitely, that definitely does take a big forefront here. Um, where the references to Rivers of Nile had come up in a couple of songs, this was definitely not one of those cases. Mm. Um, this was definitely this, we are a metalcore band, we're doing metalcore things, and we do it well. And it just goes back, um, kind of like they did um, in a couple of the prior songs, is this proves that Aaron knows how to put the pressure on, they know how to make it heavy, and they know that and when to just not let off. Yeah, and but they then did at it. the same time, they also know when to dial back, and they, they do a yep. really good job of it, too. Oh, and they, they absolutely stellar job. Mm-hmm. So next one we have is Remnant, and I might have to put this up in one of my favorites. This might be top five for me. Okay. Yeah, and I, I can definitely see this being in top five for me as well. The um, the breakdown on this song is just blistering fast. Um, it's delicious. Yeah, and, and JT's vocals, uh, or I can't remember if it's JT or Jesse, um, getting like those super deep false chord notes, and then just the double pace, double bass hammering away, mm-hmm. like it just felt right. the The rest of the song like feels similar to Idolon, the the previous record, mm-hmm. the previous track, but it doesn't feel like it has much more to offer than like the cool guitar riffs in the middle there yeah but it just like from front to back like it's just a good song yeah and the one of the notes i did put here is the change in speed that and even in the chorus was just really really well done they're they're not afraid to pick it up they're not afraid to drop it down and they're not afraid to slow it down um, they they're able to do they're able to jump a, a around on the the spectrum very very well um the solo was a little different. Like it was mm-hmm. fun, but it, it was a very different style solo than I think a lot of people are used to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I 100% agree with you there. Uh, speaking of slowing it down, it moves into the final track, "Memory Fiction." Here, uh, how did you feel about that one? It's a little. This one was a little weird. Um, it was a very gradual build. It never completely blew up compared to other tracks here on the record. Um, and it, it starts with a, a very somber vocal on uh, with the piano to this sort of soaring vocal chorus um, with a little bit of like the full instrumental um, before it just drops into this just devolving silence. Um, and you just feel everything and it just slowly but very but noticeably, you just feel everything get less. Yeah. And I I really I, I really like this as a closer. And I think 
considering where everything else was and how much of a build and then the kind of crashes and then the build build back up and then the crashes i think this might be the perfect way to close it out and just i i really enjoyed it i disagree with you (laughs) oh (laughs) so like as the final track on this album just with the rest of the content the way that this album has gone Mm -hmm. it felt a little out of place being the least heavy offering on the album really Mm -hmm. Um, like we saw this with architects a couple weeks ago where they did the same thing as well, where they ended on a very soft note and it, like, obviously it kind of worked well for that almost being like a, an epilogue for that, yeah. uh, that album for this one. We didn't have any sort of prologue. We didn't have any way to kick it off in that kind of manner. Like it just came in, uh, just guns a blazing right yeah. off the bat. And so like, there wasn't anything to introduce it. And so I don't really feel like this is a proper way to bookend it. Mm-hmm. Um, like personally for me, I would have probably swapped this song with Scorpion him. Okay. And so like where it, where it's kind of just a, it brings it down in the the rest of the record well uh, itself and just kind of uh, softens it up. It brings back into Lunar Halo and yeah. kind of just goes all in at that point from Lunar Halo and then moving forward. And we kind of have this just softer half end B side of the record. Right. Right. Um, okay. But then like leaving a heavy song for the last. So like this would just be the final offering. They just go all in. And just, I mean, we obviously discussed Scorpion him being just as heavy as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that would have been a proper way to end the record. I don't, I don't disagree with their decision necessarily, but I feel like there was a better way to do it. Yeah, and I, I think, and especially kind of alluding back to that, that little. Um kind of thing I had seen with Jesse is they definitely were bringing some of the experimental aspects um, and they wanted to definitely dig into that. Um, so I could definitely see that they would want to play around with it. Um, would it be something that I think is a mainstay in their sound? I don't think so. Um, it could be something where they go and they sprinkle it in. Um, but I think just, you know, at least personally is just having it kind of be, it also feels like you could actually use it as an opener too, um, just because of how, in in a way, because it it's this the build and then it kind of devolves, and then you could almost use it as, you know, if if you put this in front of uh, Snowblood is having that very like devolving silence and then all of a sudden it comes into that kind of electronic piece is you could almost even put it at the front of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least as using it as a closer is I think it was a, a clean job that they did and having everything in it after having it really built up and then having it all just kind of trail out, mm-hmm. um, I think is really where I found a lot of my um, my praise with it. Yeah, and I absolutely respect the decision that they made to put it at the end of the record because mm-hmm. I, I don't want it to be like I'm I'm har- harsh in their vibe there. Like I absolutely believe that bands should put forth an effort to change and to experiment a little bit. Yeah, um, because doing the same thing over and over, it, it that's when things get boring. Like it. It just doesn't really make sense. I mean, we saw this with uh, like a lot of the pop punk bands, like the story so far, for example, like they put out three records of the exact same thing and it just never changed. People got bored with them and yeah. it, just, it never went anywhere for them. Um, and so like, I'm glad that they're putting forth the efforts because as long as they try, they still have their main roots that they can go back to. Right. And if it works for them, then that's great. They can continue pursuing that direction. And we see this, like, uh, for for example, my favorite band is Trivium. And we see the same thing there. Like, they have evolved with their sound as time has progressed. And while some of the older uh, gatekeeping fans don't necessarily like it, mm-hmm. they, the like, for me as a fan, I've been a fan with them since their fourth album. And here they are uh, on their ninth album and 
hopefully going to be putting out a 10th album here soon because they've been writing a lot during quarantine. Yes. Um, it's just their their sound is constantly evolved, but they still hold true to like what their mainstay of their original sound is. Mm-hmm. And that's something respectable. And they, they continue to make music that they want to hear, but also just something that is going to be truly at the heart of what they are. And if a band wants to go off and make something wildly different, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't use the band as a platform for that. And like, while I don't necessarily like the band Blackville Brides, um, Andy uh, Beersack, the frontman for that band, mm-hmm. he did the same thing. He came out and said, "Hey, I want to do this, but I'm not going to be using my band for this," because uh, he Blackville Brides is kind of more of your. Uh, they were originally metalcore. They've kind of gone a little bit more like arena rock kind of style things. Yeah, they've kind of gone like arena rock with a, a very strong influence of the kind of classic rock. Yeah, so they, a lot they, of they like took 70s, a lot 80s. of influence from Motley Crue, and, yeah. and that's just evident by like their visual look and everything mm-hmm. like that. But um, Andy Beersack came out with a he, he did a side project called Andy Black, and it yep. was basically like gothic 80s Depeche Mode kind of style stuff and mm-hmm. I actually really like that side project and I think for Black Veil Brides fans like that was something that was good for them solely for the fact that he didn't try and introduce that into something that they already liked that was him taking the musical influences that he wanted and putting them somewhere else instead of trying to incorporate those and force them into something that didn't necessarily fit. And I feel like that's a healthy way to handle that kind of change. Yeah. Um, we see, th- we saw the same thing with Landon tours um, from the plot and you, he did the same thing with his own side stuff where he wanted it to be a little bit more of a storytelling and, and that kind of aspect of things and more of an acoustic vibe as opposed to doing the stuff that he did with the plot and you prior to them kind of softening up and going to the brimmy the horizon route. Um, so the, all of that to say <laughs> um, that bands should absolutely focus on change. Evolution is is healthy in a in a band's growth, mm-hmm. but they should always still have some way to call back to their roots, unless something is reasonably calling them back to calling them away from that. Yeah. So like, Bring Me the Horizon is a prime example where they used to be a deathcore band, and now they are absolutely not a deathcore band, but it's working they for are, them. Yeah. And while there was obviously a lot of hate from the original fans who were part of that deathcore scene, like it worked for them in moving completely. So like they didn't dichotomize. They they didn't try and stay deathcore while also having offerings. Like they just went full frontal and and went in that direction. And I feel like that was the healthiest decision for them because they knew what they were doing and they knew how to do it. Right. And as much as I don't really like Ollie Sykes as a person he was smart in making that decision. And unfortunately, a lot of bands aren't just going to have that same know-how. And so I feel like what era is done here and what architects was doing a few weeks ago, even though I know you didn't like it, they were making a, an appropriate movement in the, the, in the evolution of their sound. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like it's working out for them. Yeah, no. And it, it's, I, I very much agree with the the evolution pieces. It, it, because, because what happens is if you don't evolve, is you become stale, mm-hmm. um, and then it's you start to end up becoming. It's like, well, are you just, you're just capitalizing on something you've done before, and it almost makes it seem like you're not evolving as a human being. Um, you know, under underneath all the music is that's kind of the some of what it comes off as. And, you know, sometimes it is nice to just incorporate something even a little bit different. Um, you know, my favorite band's Lamb of God. And well, they have very and very well stayed very loyal to the sound that they had in Ashes of the Wake, which I kind of look at as the teetering point into what they've become. 
is there's been something that's been added that has allowed them to evolve. Um, if you look at the record they put out back in 2015, it's uh, I believe it's Storm Undrong. Yep, I believe is yep, the I remember that record vividly. That one, I I love that one. I couldn't I couldn't stop listening to it for a while. But it was the first time we actually heard Randy singing. Yeah. Um. So like that was a huge thing, and you start to see uh, a little bit of a. A call back to when Lamb of God really hit a very heavy stage. Um, and in some ways, they actually hit almost deathcore levels of heavy. Mm-hmm. And with this record is you see a little bit more of that. But I think what they were able to do is they dug into a little bit more of Mark and Willie's wheelhouses, um, both of the guitarists. And they were able to bring a little bit more of the the groovier side that they had, um, a little bit more of the riffage, uh, but being able to put it on the the heavier style drums because they do have the new drummer. Um, again, while they're staying very loyal to the sound that they've had for a long time, there is that continued evolution, and they're able to keep things fresh. Um, so ultimately, mm-hmm. evolve. Absolutely. And, and just one more thing to tack on to that. I know we're kind of going long on this whole subject here, but mm-hmm. um, looking at that kind of same example of like we first hear Randy singing for the first time, we saw the same thing with Whitechapel on their sixth album. Uh, oh, Mark of the Blade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they tried that and it failed them miserably. And it just because they tried to split it off, like they just tried to do one song and call it good. And then the rest of the record was just kind of the same old generic stuff where they didn't do anything. And that just didn't work for them. But then they came out with the next album, The Valley. And that was one of my favorite records they've ever put out to date. Oh, so good. It just front to back. It was good. They went just they went all in on that. They still stayed true to the roots that kept Whitechapel, Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. But then we actually got to hear some of uh, some of Phil Bozeman's actual clean singing and kind of just the emotion that was a part of that. And I help. I feel like it helped them move forward together as a band. Yeah. And I can't wait to see because I know that they're in the studio recording right now for album number eight, and I cannot wait to see what they're going to be doing here with this. I've I've heard the teasers and it's, it's just. just it's going to be unreal. disgusting. It's going to be so great, and I can't wait to review that here on the podcast, and I really hope it doesn't let us down. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping so, and especially because with, like, um, you know, and I'll just kind of make my last little note about that, but, like, when a demon defiles a witch is it has that dynamic of just the disgusting heavy to the very somber and almost soothing parts in the cleans. It just that that stark contrast just within the song and then going back to the just the disgusting is mm-hmm. just very, very well done. Absolutely. So that wraps up uh, era uh, their self-titled record. Matt, on a scale of one to eight tentacles, where you at? I'm going to have to probably put it about a seven point five. I'm going to give it a seven. Yeah, it's front to back like it is a great record. The and the way that I I'm trying to break that down in my head, eight ten eight out of eight tentacles. That's gonna be like I can listen to this without uh skipping a single track. It's mm-hmm. just one of my favorite records that's come out this year, this decade, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um. So like front to back, this is gonna be a perfect record. That's where I'm at with an eight at a seven. Like it, it's it's really close to that edge, but there's just gonna be something a little something that it just isn't quite there for me, and I feel like. With this being my first introduction to Era, like this is absolutely a very good introduction to them. Yeah, they put out a, a very solid offering. Whatever their next one is, this is going to be the bar for me. Yep. 
And I, I've been seeing that, like, everybody's saying that this is, like, kind of one of the best records that they've put out since a lot of their earlier stuff. I think Augment was the uh, the thing that I saw people mm-hmm. relating it to the most, which I want to say was their first record, but I could be wrong on that. Okay. And please forgive me if I am. Um, but, yeah, I would say it's a, a 7 out of 8 for me. Almost there, not quite, but still a very solid offering. I, I think the reason, and uh, I have noted here as a seven out of eight, but I think I, I have to push it up to a 7.5. And even when the the record kind of feels like it lulls or it, it's, I start to lose attention. Um, Like one of the things is I was listening to this a lot while I was working at my part-time job, um, just, you know, to have something to listen to is even in the parts where my attention seemed to drift away from actually paying attention to the record, is it's just it kept pulling me back the it just i couldn't i couldn't get too far away from listening to it i couldn't get not give it enough attention um and it, it's just a record that i plan to continue to come back to and um as i've already started listening to a little bit of their older material i plan to continue to dig into their older material just to get a, a, a even stronger frame of reference for when their new material does come out and you know, I would assume two years based on the typical kind of album cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the, a solid, well, like 40, 40% of this album is already saved in my playlists. Or not playlists, but like my favorite songs. And they're going to be songs that are just going to keep coming up. And I'm going to keep listening yep. to them because I don't want to get tired of them. They're too, they're too good for that. They're, yeah, no, absolutely. All righty. Well, everybody, I do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us today. Please like us, rate us, and uh, follow us on iTunes. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you find uh, your podcast. Um, right now, we're going to go into the hidden track, which is going to be the kind of the final segment of the show where we talk about something music related that isn't necessarily a part of this album or this uh, band. Matt, what do you got for us today? So I've talked about these guys a couple of times on the podcast, just as a, a frame of reference, and they recently announced the that they're putting out new material. Um, and I've already talked to Gabe, and we are one thousand percent reviewing this one and just to give you a little bit of a teaser um so the devil wears prada is releasing the z2 ep um this is actually going to be a sort of part two or a sort of sequel to the zombie ep that was released back in 2010 i know i hate that it was so long (laughs) it was a long time ago (laughs) so what we'll actually be doing um and I am beyond stoked. I've been hearing the teasers for this one. I've been seeing some of the the press release that they've been releasing. Um, and based off of after ha- putting out their last record, The Act, is that's a little bit more of their most commercially successful mm-hmm. stuff, is they're now going into their heaviest material to date. Um, so we're going to get to see the sequel to the Zombie EP. And just so you guys know, we're actually going to be doing a two-part review on that one. We're actually going to be digging into the original Zombie EP and kind of giving our thoughts on that. And then we're going to be digging into the Z2 EP. Um, I believe the release date on that is May 11th. That sounds correct. That sounds about right. I could be wrong, um, but I'm super, super stoked on that one. I'm ready for some new Prada. Absolutely. And just to clarify, like the the two part uh, review on that, we're going to be reviewing it in the same podcast. The, we're yep. just going to be discussing the the zombie EP, and then we'll be discussing Z two because there's going to be the obvious comparison with it with its original and it being uh, eleven years later now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be something that we kind of like want to talk to talk into and and discuss because that's. 
going to be something just obvious that we want to really dig into. Yeah. It's going to be a, a very common comparison that we're going to be seeing across forums, online, in chats, everything like that. Um, so we want to be able to, to discuss that and have those same conversations there and look at it both as a standalone record and then also as uh, as a continuation of what they originally did. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited about that one. Um, Gabe, what do you got? Uh, I want to actually talk about the new Cannibal Corpse album. Okay. So uh, I didn't want to matt and i discussed this we didn't really want to rate this album uh in the podcast itself because talking for 50 minutes about cannibal corpse sounds awful uh (laughs) um i personally have always liked them they're kind of one of those things where i originally got into them for the shock value and then just i leaned back away from it for a while and just i can go back and listen to them for the musicianship kind of thing like except for the uh, recent mishap with their guitarist like everything about them is just fun in, in a way like obviously the the subject matter it, it, it gets very gory grimy grizzly and, and whatnot i'm personally just over that like i'm not an angsty teen anymore so <laughs> it, it, it's that portion of it doesn't really uh advocate for me but um at the same time like it's it's the same sound that cannibal corpse has done just the normal re- refining that we would expect to see as they have, have had more and more success right. over the years um, but it's the same corpse grinder vocals that we wanted to see. It's the same riffs, the same kind of drums, the same subject material, everything about it. Talking for 50 minutes and having absolutely no value to the lyrical content of it sounded mm-hmm. horrible. And for anybody not really who, who's not really familiar with death metal in general, it's just it's going to be very uh, just kind of a flat podcast. But I did want to bring it up that if you like if you like Cannibal Corpse, you like what they've done in the past. Um, you like the uh, like everything about them, then this is going to be a record that you're going to enjoy. If you don't like Cannibal Corpse, you don't like death metal, you don't like what they've done in the past, this is absolutely not going to be a record that you enjoy. Um, this is going to be one of those examples of a band that's done the exact same thing, and because they have a kind of, uh, they effectively have a gimmick to go along with it. Yeah. it's going to be something that they're able to continue doing, and they're going to they're going to continue doing it until they just either call it quits or they all die, whichever comes first, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so because they have that gimmick, they're able to do the same thing over and over. There isn't going to be a very significant evolution with their sound. They didn't do anything new that I noticed. It's just, it's the same blistering fast riffs, the same blistering fast drums. Corpse Grinder is doing the same thing that he always does with his vocals. And while they're great death metal vocals, it, they just don't deviate from anything that they've done in the past. And if that's your vibe, I respect it absolutely. It's not really my vibe, but I did give it went ahead and give it gave it a listen just so we could discuss it briefly here on the podcast to make sure that we notated it. Yeah. Can we just take a second to talk about the size of Corpse Grinder's neck? That man has a neck that can be seen from space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just it's straight up so much headbanging. And the funniest thing too is he is just like one of the nicest human beings in the world, too. Um, just like in interviews that we see in discussions that he has, mm-hmm. he's uh, very avid in just like collecting stuffed animals, which is just something weird to say for something like, Hey, corpse grinder st- collects stuffed animals. Yeah. Like that's a weird sentence to it's say. It's a really <laughs> weird sentence. And especially if you look at the lyrical content of cannibal corpse. Yeah, for sure. I guess he also met Cher once and I guess Cher was actually like, Hey, you're pretty cool. Exactly. So like it just, He's absolutely one of those people that I would love to meet and just sit down. Like, I would love to have coffee with the guy. Yeah. Not even discussing music or anything like that. Just to sit down and just learn more about him. Like, he's one of those kind of people that I feel like would actually have just a lot of fun things to say Mm -hmm. that wouldn't even be remotely related to what Cannibal Corpse and what they've done in the past. Yeah. But it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun. (laughs) 
Cool. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us today, guys. As I mentioned before, please like, subscribe, rate, and everything like that on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podbean, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to us. We really appreciate it. Next week, we're going to be diving into the new Evanescence record that came out back in March. Uh, so we have some hot takes on that. Uh, Matt and I are not in agreement on how we feel about it. So <laughs> this, is a, this is going to be a very interesting episode for sure. Absolutely. So uh, feel please check us out. Uh, all of our episodes release on Fridays and we will uh, see you later. Catch you later, guys.